0: Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. Hi, it's Jen Kirkman. So this is a, a new episode to you. It was released on the Patreon as the video version a couple weeks ago. I'm still in the transition into the new podcast um, family or network, and so I'm not putting out the new theme song yet or the new art. That will all be coming. So as of now, I just want to make sure you guys have some new episodes. So I've got two to launch that have already, you know, aired on the Patreon. Um, There might be another lag for another week or two, but keep hanging in, stay subscribed. And here we go. So I took out the old theme song. We're just sort of, this is the in-between area for right now and enjoy this episode. And thanks. No fun, the Jen Kirkman podcast episode. I think it's... 3.46, 3.47. Hi, everybody. Well, again, what is this podcast? I'm Jen Kirkman. I'm a comedian. I've got two comedy specials. I'm going to die alone and I feel fine and just keep living, both streaming now on Netflix. I'm also a best-selling author. You can find two of my books anywhere that you buy books. I can barely take care of myself and I know what I'm doing and other lies I tell myself. This podcast is where I show another side of me, where I can be myself, and you can enjoy listening to my weekly monologue. It's like a friend leaving you a really long voicemail, but not in a rude and obnoxious way. (laughs) Nothing is scripted. It's not joke permitted, but it is sometimes funny, sometimes serious, always honest and real. All right, everybody, as you know, we are in the middle of a global pandemic A global pandemic, a global pandemic. So I am not on tour. I know some people are, and good for them. I hope they're having a great time shitting their pants every time they go out there. Uh, I'm too scared. And I don't want people gathering in my name without masks, because the comedy clubs don't make you wear a mask. I think that is bad. So here's where you can support me in the year of our Lord 2020 on Patreon, patreon patreon.com. I do bonus episodes. Uh, There are at least five bonus episodes a month, depending on what level you join at. You can access all of them or some of them. You can start even as low as $5 a month and as high as $40 a month. And some of the higher levels come with other bonuses like merchandise and shout outs. So patreon.com slash Jen Kirkman. I'm not secretly squirreling away millions. I do not get paid for every time you watch my Netflix specials. So I'm telling you, this is the God's honest truth. The way to support me financially during this time, join the Patreon. And you get the video version as well. And you can see things like when I blow my hair out nice, which I did today. So there you go. That's my tour dates for 2020. There are none. Join the Patreon. Join it. Get yourself a Patreon Join it It's better than joining a cult because a cult won't let you leave With Patreon you can leave whenever you want You can pay by the month and then go My financial situation changed Or you can pay for the year and get a discount If you're the type that likes discounts! So get on the Patreon, it's better than a cult. Because I don't make you wear all the same outfits or drink a Kool-Aid. You can drink whatever you want when you listen to my show. Join the Patreon, it's better than joining a cult. Because you don't have to have the same beliefs as me, or as he, or as she. Everybody here's an individual, and we respect each other. Because deep down, deep down, deepest down, we're all humans just trying to get through it. What are we trying to get through? Well, how about that think called life? or maybe the pandemic. Whatever your reasons for distraction are, get down to Patreon.com and something that rhymes with R. Patreon.com slash Jen Kirkman. One N in Jen, I don't have time for two N's. Jen Kirkman at the Patreon. It's better than joining a cult. Your parents don't have to come get you. It's better than joining a cult. There are no rules. Except don't be a sexist creep and get in my DMs. It's not going to work out for you. That's the only rule. Patreon.com slash Jen. Jen Kirkman. Okay, that was fucking great. And yes, that was completely improvised. Oh my God, what can't I do? The talent just comes pouring out of me. <laughs> okay. This motherfucking week, we are going to talk about, well, first let's just start with, I want to talk about that Netflix show called Floor is lava. This is a show on the TV. And, you know, I wish I was, I wish I was even making fun of it, if that makes any sense. You know, Um, it's such a Bill Hicks kind of 1980s kind of vibe where, you know, before there was a lot of television whenever there was television that seemed a little unnecessary. I mean, the comedians in the 80s who thought TV was bad then when I think TV was actually pretty good when you look back on it would be shitting a brick, the ones <laughs> that are no longer with us, about the crazy reality shows we have now. Like, they would just not be able to handle it. And so I feel like I should be coming at it from that perspective of, is this what we do now? Is this, is this the human experience of uh, we just watch people try to avoid fake hot lava. But that aside, I mean, of course, it's a w- there's no reason to watch it. You, well, kids should watch it. No, I, no, they shouldn't. No one should, literally there's no demo that like absolutely needs this entertainment. But, but, well, there probably is like, someone's going to email me. My son has a developmental disability and it's the only thing he can watch. And all right. If anyone with problems, you can watch it. Um, but I'm not even coming at it from that perspective. I I was just like, I kept he- reading about it. And, you know, every article was like, this is the show we need right now in quarantine. Floor is lava. Because it's mindless and it's whatever. I, I don't know. Are we done with the mindless? I, I, do you think maybe we got where we are because we're so into mindless? There There isn't enough mindless stuff for anybody. So... I decided, well, I think I'll watch an episode or two and maybe something to talk about on the podcast, but I forgot the name was Floor is Lava. I thought it was called Hot Lava. So I'm sitting in front of the TV with my Apple remote and, you know, I'm a woman of the future, a woman of science, and so I'm not typing it in. I'm yelling into the remote, Hot Lava. And I'm getting annoyed because it's in, "Mm, I don't see anything named that. And I'm going, Hot Lava hot lava and you know i i'm sure my neighbors down the hall can hear me and they they don't know my life they probably think oh she's having a fight with her significant other over something we can't hear what he's saying um but she's yelling hot lava god i hope she's not throwing hot lava at anyone but uh, me yelling at my remote if my neighbors don't know that i am not here with anyone i shouldn't announce that but uh probably think i'm having some interesting arguments like the rachel zoe project that's i always put on reruns of the rachel zoe project in the background when i need mindless noise and i'm doing like busy work um that's my secret but uh hot lava i was getting so mad and i'm like well then what fucking show is about lava when is technology going to get to the point where we just can't yell and have a mood at the remote and go, well, what fucking show has the word lava in it? Just tell me. I mean, that's where you can type it in, but I don't want to have to go L, blah, 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 A, blah, 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 V, blah. I just want to be in the twentieth, 21st century. We're clearly not. But anyway, I Googled it. Oh, floor is lava. So I watch a little bit of this show and look, It's a type of show I would totally love to be on. I get really excited. If you don't know what the show is, I mean, can you kind of guess? It's like an obstacle course and you are on it with your team or whoever. I kind of wasn't paying attention to who the people were. And there's all this rolling orange water. It's supposed to look hot. There's no way that it's hot. It would not be legal for them to do that. And it would cost a lot of money to heat it. So just know from insider POV Jen Kirkman, I would assume it's not hot. So you have to cross a thing. I don't know. Get across this, take risks, jump over something, and basically you lose if you fall into the lava. And it's hard. It's not easy. You've got to, uh, you know, scale some things and it's about risk assessment, making decisions. I'm sure once you're, I'm sure from home, it looks really easy. Oh, I would just jump on that thing. And I'm sure when you're there, your, uh, depth perception is off and you don't know if I put my foot down, how close the ground really is. And, but there's something going on where it must be very loud in the studio with, maybe the sound of the water rolling or I don't know what, but they're all yelling, but they're in within one foot of each other. And it's too much yelling for me. I I know that they can't hear each other and they can't hear themselves, but so I don't blame them for the yelling. It's just not, it doesn't translate that well to me over TV. So I was trying to think about How did this show get started? And I didn't look it up, but I know for me, it reminded me of a game I used to play when I was a little girl at home. Like once I heard Floor is Lava, before I even saw a picture of the show, I knew exactly what it was because I was like, oh, that's like when I used to play Boat. When I was about, I don't know, six, seven, six or seven I would always play boat in my living room and I would stand on the couch and I would pretend, I I don't even know where I saw boats, we weren't boat people, I probably got, I probably saw some ads for carnival cruises, I probably saw the love boat, so I was aware of luxury cruises and uh, I don't even think I was thinking of a a yacht but maybe more of like a luxury liner thing. So this is how I played boat. And this is, what, 1982, 83? 1980, 81, actually. And I'm standing on the couch, holding my hand as though I'm holding a wine glass. And I stand on the couch and pretend I'm having a cocktail on the deck of a boat because I'm a fancy lady who's on a boat. And that's how you played boat. You stood on the couch, and the ground was the ocean. So you don't put your foot on the rug. You stand on the boat. Now, was there any challenge to it? Like, you have to stand there until your mom yells at you and says, get off the couch? No. Is there a competition that you do? You play shuffleboard? (laughs) Nope. Do you invite friends over to do it? God, no. It's boat. It's my private game. My mom would never get mad for some reason if I was standing on the couch. Well, I was a wee little thing. Probably weighed 30 pounds until I was 18. And I would just stand on the couch. And she'd walk by, oh, hi, Jen. That's, what, that's Gen X. That's why everyone was saying we're perfectly prepared for the pandemic because we can do nothing like the best of them. Now, what? there weren't shows like Hot Running Lava or whatever, Floor is Lava to watch. You know, there were periods of the day where there just, you don't watch anything. Not I would usually watch game shows, but there were some times when, oh, it didn't dawn on you to turn on the TV. You could sit there in a room reading quietly and then you'd play boat. Because in my mind it was so much better than the TV. I'm like, I'm a rich lady on a boat. I'm six or seven and I'm not allowed to have alcohol yet. But when I stand on this couch with my hand out, like I'm holding a drink I am. And then sometimes I would lay down on the couch with my sunglasses on and I'd put a beach towel down on the couch. I mean, we had summertime in Massachusetts. I would also go outside, but keep in mind there's winter months and you put a beach towel down on the couch, which feels so wild. If you're a kid, there's there's these weird rules when you're a kid that you kind of forget about, you have zero life experience. So everything seems like it has its place. And when things are out of place, it's a really big deal. I don't mean in an OCD way, but when you see something, you know, if your mother put up the Christmas tree in June, that would be such a big deal when you're five or six, because you've never seen that before. Now, if someone said, Uh, I just put my Christmas tree up in June. I would think that's eclectic, but I wouldn't be like, I didn't even know you could do that, right? Now, so something like being allowed to go into the closet, the part of the closet that had the beach towels, whoo, you know, having that thought was already like a half a day of like, holy shit, am I even allowed to, mom, can I take a beach towel? I don't care. Why do you need that? I'm playing boat and and I'm laying on the deck. Okay. It's probably easier to just let the weird kid do that. So, you know, again, my parents accidentally fostered a lot of creativity in me. It came not at all from a place of them knowing they were doing it or some parenting style they were doing. These are silent generation people. They're not boomers, you know they're older than that. They're just like, I don't know what to do. Don't get pregnant. Don't do drugs. Don't crash the car. Don't go anywhere. Everything else, I guess, do it. I don't know. Is that what people do? You know? So it wasn't like, oh my God, our daughter thinks the couch is a boat. Isn't she creative? Maybe someday she'll be a set designer or a boat constructor. It was just like, I don't, well, if it's going to keep you out of my hair for 10 minutes, get the beach towel, but don't spill anything on it, you know? Don't get pregnant on the beach towel. Don't spill on it. Don't do drugs on the beach towel. So I take the beach towel out of the closet, which again, to feel what a beach towel feels like in December is quite strange. And so putting it on the couch and then I would lay down with sunglasses on. You know, a pair of my mom's big sunglasses and put my, um, we call them thongs, but they were flip-flops, but, you know, they had that thing down the middle that splits your toes. Put my thongs on, not my thong underwear, that was not a thing in my world. And so i lay on the couch in like a bathrobe, but I would pretend it was a, you know, sort of a a bathing suit cover-up and I would lay there on my yacht sunning myself on the deck, and that's how you played boat. And it was really laying on the couch. But with a beach towel and some sunglasses, now we're having an adventure. And this is what I did. This is something you can do during commercials when you were a little, because we didn't have the option to fast forward. And again, sometimes you didn't even turn on the goddamn TV. You were happy playing boat. But I have to say... It really does, I'm not trying to shit on younger generations. I feel bad for you guys that you didn't know a world without screens all the time because it does affect your brain. And it's so funny because I need like, I I could, I'm running this like anxiety class and there's just so much emailing and keeping things straight. And I'm like, you know, if this gets big enough and I need to hire someone, I've tried to hire so many assistants that are under the age of 30 and they all say i'm not good with computers but i can run errands and i'm like what how are you not good with computers you grew up with it. like only gen- I, I don't know what's happening i don't want to shit on anyone but there was an article recently that came out in the independent and uh a psychologist said i guess there was like kind of before we started calling it millennial there was like after gen x the i gen which was like the you know i grew up people who grew up where there was always a computer or a smartphone. So in uh, 2017, psychologist Jean M. Twenge decided to look at the first generation who had never known life without a smartphone. She coined the term iGen for the group born between 95 and 2012 who lived most of their lives online. The results were shocking and sparked a global conversation about the effects of online activity and mental health. The findings were published in an Atlantic magazine article called Have Smartphones Destroyed a Generation?, and um, she found out that I, Jen, were less likely to drive, work for pay. I don't know what that means exactly. I'm not going to blame a generation for not getting paid because Gen X certainly understands that. Um, I'm sure there's more details of what she meant. Go on dates and have sex with a tendency to spend most of their time online during the day playing a crucial role in contributing to that. This wasn't just a gradual shift in behavior, from previous generations as twinge put it gentle slopes in the graphs documenting emotional states of individuals through generations became sheer cliffs with the introduction of the smartphone in her own words i have never seen anything like it so this was her original article in the atlantic um i'm holding it up if you have the patreon that was from september 2017 this article i'm reading now is from a few months ago that's revisiting it and uh But the most worrying part was the shift to online living went hand in hand with skyrocketing rates of depression and suicide and had left iGen on the brink of the worst mental health crisis in decades. So it's so interesting because I I have always, you know, my panic and anxiety was such a quiet struggle for me because I didn't know what it was. And I sometimes wished, oh, I wish I'd had all this stuff when I was younger, but I guess I don't because the very thing that you can look up depression and anxiety about on and get information privately is the thing that's making you so anxious. You know, the first time I went to the library, I, like the librarian knows my mom and knows everybody and I would go in and I said, do you, have, I knew something was wrong with me and it was like 12 panic attacks a day at school and it was getting unbearable and I would say, do you have... um something about like psychiatry and she would be like like what part I'm like I don't know and I'm doing a book report on psychiatry you know or something and I I just would go through books and books just sit there just hoping I would read something that said when you feel feelings of unreality or like you're dying or like you're gonna faint or you feel like you're going crazy and losing control and it's disrupting your life it's called this And I don't have much memory of when I really understood what it was. I somehow in my heart knew it was something to do with anxiety or something mental health. And it was just a secret from when I was 10 till when I was 21. And uh, then I got some therapy at 22. And I was so relieved to find out it was normal because the day I went to therapy about it, I wasn't like, I'm going to go to therapy. I was like, well... I basically was like, I'm turning myself in. You know, they're going to say, yeah, people like you have to live in an institution. Just full stop. I didn't know. I, I, I thought that's what. So the fact that like you can just type like the, that everyone knows what it is kind of. I mean, they don't really, but that you could technically go, I don't know, is this anxiety and type it into Google and an alarm doesn't go off that goes, Someone someone's anxiety here. <laughs> you know, that then I it's nothing to envy, I guess, because I, I live the life I lived and so be it. And here we are. Um, which reminds me, I am really loving, I taught a anxiety class on zoom and there's so many levels and, and, you know, facets of anxiety that this will go on for a long time. I'm, I'm, I'm pitching something to do with talking about anxiety on a more professional level that my agent and I are working on, I can't tell you what it is. But in the meantime, I'm doing these Zoom classes. And the one that I taught was about muscle relaxation and sort of a a way into meditation without really teaching meditation. But it was the psychological, I always try to do, okay, we're going to do a relaxing thing that's physical, but I'm going to drop in some Uh, like a psychological point of view that can help because a lot of times when we're we're relaxing, we're judging ourselves and we're trying to do it right and perfectionism is not, do you know like perfectionism is not uh, being type A or doing things well, it's actually the opposite. It's really low self-esteem and someone who can't even get started with anything because they're already judging themselves and has unrealistic expectations, get depressed before it's even get started. So a lot of that subtle attitude actually causes physical anxiety. So I just get so jazzed talking about it that, you know, it's great, but but mainly it's a lot of younger people saying they need help. And I don't know how to address the everyone's on a screen all the time anxiety of it all because I feel like I have a pretty good relationship with the screens. I don't miss them when they're not around. I don't feel addicted. I spend a ton of time off screens. So I don't know. I, I, my, I feel for everybody. Um, anyway, so, but this woman was saying that with COVID-19 accelerating, accelerating, working at home, online shopping, video socializing, maintaining contact via solely email and text, people have fallen out of step with engaging others in the real world and we're all kind of getting a taste of what it's like to be iGen. Now, I know this woman is an expert and a psychiatrist, but I kind of don't agree with her, like, in the sense that I don't think iGen was necessarily avoiding things, but I just don't think they ever experienced the joy of, um, like, the exquisite pain of not getting an answer for something for 24 hours or not knowing who was calling or the phone is busy and the boy you like might be calling but your mom's on the phone. Like this kind of, you learn to be in the moment more and you learn to not think everything was so urgent and it kind of helped certainly not make an ass of yourself in every situation. Like you actually got to sleep on things. Like I'm going to tell Jonathan that I'm in love with him and I'm going to write him a note And give it to him at school tomorrow. And then you sleep on it and you wake up and you're like, I'm probably not going to do that. But imagine if I had like a phone and I could just text that, you know, it's stuff like that. I think that that is the more subtle difference between growing up with instant gratification and not. I mean, I don't actually think it's so literal that people feel disconnected because they're always online. I feel like people didn't learn how to be alone properly. Um, I don't know. I could be... Listen, I am a comedian. Why am I arguing with a psychiatrist? Because that's what we do. Um, by the way, thank you everyone who's joined my Patreon. I want to talk this week. I At the $35 level, you get a shout out and I pretend that you're one of my best friends. And I hate even saying that I pretend you're one of my best friends and I tell a story about how we met because this guy is actually my best friend in the whole world, $35 a month, Patreon subscriber, David Lawrence, And I'm going to tell you guys how we met. This is really weird. So I'm on a bus one day back when I lived in Boston. I mean, it's a whole thing. I could get into why I was on the bus. Not that there's anything wrong with buses. It's just that I usually would take the T, which is the subway there, and, or drive my parents' car. Um, but this one day, the T was not coming. And it was taking forever. And I was like, I don't really know the bus system. I'm going to get on the bus. So I jumped on this bus because it said it was going to, to um, Harvard Square and that's where I was going. But it it made me chatty because, well, this was before, you know, uh, iPhones as well. But I saw this guy sitting across from me and I said, I was sort of not attracted to him like sexually, but I was like, there was some, something there. I felt like I had to talk to him. and But I did have to talk to him, literally, because I was like, do you know how many stops this bus makes? Is this going express? Am I Where am I going exactly? It it says Harvard Square, but I'm worried. And, and he, you know, set me straight and said, no, 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 it's, it's going to stop in a few stops. And I thought to myself, if I were a guy, I think I would look like this guy. And I said, I'm sorry to stare at you. It's very rude. But do you think we look alike? and he was like i was thinking the same thing and he said what's your name and i said kirkman and he said mine's lawrence and i was like okay well we're not related i don't think any kirkmans in your family no any lawrences in yours no he was like huh and i was like well that's weird and he was like hey i'm i'm totally married like in a non creepy way take my number um you know in case you figure it out because I think something's going on here. And I didn't give him my number because I was just like trying to be ca- cautious about men, you know. And uh, and I was living with my parents at the time and I was like, hello? who? David Lawrence? Who, who is this man calling my, my daughter? I mean, I think he's only about 10 years older than me, but still I was 21. And anyway, so I go home and I just can't shake it. And, you know, I didn't have a brother growing up, but when I was when my mom was pregnant with me, they didn't have um, like gender testing yet. So they just would kind of eyeball you and be like, I think it's a this. So this, they really thought I was going to be a boy. My mom was going to name me Jeff and I came out a girl. So, you know, I always joked with my parents like I was their last hope for having a boy and they didn't get one. And my mom, my dad would always laugh at that. My mom would always kind of look away and I made that joke again one night. Um, and my mom looked at me and started to cry. And she ran out of the room and I and I followed her. I was like, oh no, I'm I'm so happy I'm a girl, or what? I don't know, what's wrong? Did I do something? And she was like, I didn't want to say this in front of your father. In 1974, we still had milkmen. And it's such a cliche, Jennifer. I know. They would always say, if the baby didn't look like the father, the the wife had an affair with the milkman. And, well, Jennifer, I had an affair with the milkman. And that's why we stopped getting milk delivered. Thank God you were lactose intolerant anyway, so it, it wasn't suspicious to your father. But I had an affair with the milkman. And, you know, he said, I really can't have another kid. I've got like nine kids up and down the street. And I said, I understand um, my husband and I are trying to get pregnant anyway, so I'm just going to say that it's it's his. And, you know, your father doesn't think to look at what people look like close up. You look enough like him. You've got brown hair. So I think that guy's dad is a milkman. So I called David, and I said, is your dad a milkman? He said, yeah, he's dead now, but he was. I go, you're my half-brother. And he's like, oh my fucking God, I can't believe my dad was such a cliche. I'm like, I know. And I was like, well, we can't be like long lost family because my dad can never find out. So it's not like you're going to like come to Christmas, but do you want to be friends? Like we could be friends, I guess, right? And he was like, totally. So we became friends and we'd like go to coffee once a week and we totally had a lot in common. We went to like a couple of Cure concerts together and, you know, we still keep in touch. Um he's always like, oh, my half-sister's famous. I'm like, I'm not famous. I'm just a working comic, but, you know, he's kind of shy, so he just likes to watch me on the Patreon, you know, and and it feels kind of one-sided, but, you know, it's a complicated thing. So anyway, I thank you, David Lawrence, for um being my uh, secret half-brother that my mom had you with the milkman and, you know, a, a dear friend and and uh someone that joined the Patreon at $35 a month. I hope that You're enjoying all the bonuses you're getting. And if anyone else wants to join, patreon.com slash Jen Kirkman. Up in here, up in here. Okay. Also, just a reminder, if you go jenkirkman.com, click shop. There are uh, masks you can buy as well as sweatshirts, T-shirts, pillows, mugs, whatever you need, notebooks, and all of the proceeds that I earn, I donate hundred percent to fund the front lines, which goes to get healthcare workers the PPE they need. Um in July we raised a ton of money. It was two charities in July. One um was core, children of restaurant employees. I think they're gonna get about six hundred dollars. And I think fund the front line is gonna get about five hundred. So we're we're averaging like a thousand a month. So now until the end of December. Um, it will just be for fun, the front lines. And I have a new shirt coming that is a old quote from this podcast. I don't even remember in what context, but it's, uh, women are literally humans and it's going to be this kind of like seventies, kind of like brown and yellow and orange, like rainbow color thing. They're designing it right now, but by the time this episode comes out, it might be there. So JenKirkman.com, click shop, check it out. We'll have some Christmassy stuff coming as well. Obviously, um, A lot of merch with the new logo for No Fun is there as well. And I actually have a lot of my own merchandise. Like I have a mug that's a picture of my sister's cat mittens. I have the I Meditated Today Motherfucker pillow that is really on my meditation chair. I have I'm Just a Soul Trapped in a Body Spiral Notebook that I use as my gratitude journal. I have a I Meditated Today Motherfucker tank top and really soft sweatshirt. Like I do actually enjoy my own merch. I have a Feminist and Fun Pillow. It's actually really good quality stuff. So check it out. And, you know, it actually all makes kind of great gifts as well. That's gifts, not gifts. I don't know how. So, okay. So let's close out the episode with this. I'd asked you guys to send me any questions you have over email. You know, I read listener emails. And this one girl wrote and asked me, about my dad, who was a greenskeeper for a golf course. And she said, how do you even get into that kind of job? And and does he have any crazy customer service stories? So I forwarded it to my dad and he took it very seriously. I thought he was just going to write a couple paragraphs. I thought maybe I'd get on the phone with him and just jot down some things he said. And he was like, Jen, I am going to write this, but I'm going to do it my way. And I was like, uh-oh. And he wrote a 15-page email <laughs> with his life story. And I would get like a few pages a day and he would go, I must stop writing for the night. Tomorrow will begin at 1959. And I was like, oh my God, what's happening? And I called my mom. She goes, Jennifer, I told your father not to do all this. It's, you asked a simple question. I said, no, don't be mean to him. I think he wants to get his life story out there. You know, people want to write their stuff. And I, You know, I'm going to encourage him to keep writing. I'm going to necessarily read it on the podcast. He's like, you can trim it down, read what you want, but I have to do this my way. Don't tell me to just answer these things, you know, willy-nilly. I got to take you through the story in my life. So I was like, okay. So I don't know how long this will take. That's why I do not have a second topic for today. But we will now commence the answer to Kate's question. Which, let me find Kate's original question, and I will tell you what got my father so, so inspired to write a book, basically. Um, And I'm not making fun of him if he's listening, but Kate. Question regarding greenskeepers. Hi, Jen. A topic you might talk about on the podcast. I'm interested to hear more about your father's experiences as a greenskeeper, What was a typical day for him? Did he have to do much small talk with customers? If so, did it annoy him? Any anecdotes or favorite stories he used to tell you about his work? How did he even get into greenskeeping? Thanks, Kate. Now, I could have just answered it myself, but I know my dad, he likes to write an email sometimes, but I didn't expect a 15-pager. And, you know, I don't think, I don't know. We'll see. So I haven't really read this all the way through. So I will now read to you. I hope this is at all enjoyable. My dad's life story. (laughs) Um, Let's find some good music to play with this. Maybe we'll play our um, loungy, jazz, relaxing music in the background. And, uh, you know, enjoy, enjoy a story. Let's see. Let's see how this goes. I have no idea if this can be heard or if it's too loud or too soft. Oh, it's coming through my phone, not the Bluetooth. That ain't right. I want it to go through the Bluetooth. If anyone's listening, um, this is what happens on my podcast a lot is I take care of technical issues. What do you mean? Yeah, there you go. No, Jennifer's iPhone. Jennifer's iPhone. Here we go. Man. Woo! That's a little too loud. Wait, this woman is singing? I don't want some some bitch singing. <laughs> oh, Jen. All right, I'll find it. Here you go. Just everyone relax. Just relax. We're going to get there. I'm just trying to find my little link that I normally have. You know what I'm saying? I'm getting it right now. You won't even believe how organized I am. Doesn't seem like it, but it is. Nope, you would believe how not organized I am. So uh, let me see. Free, free Bossa Nova music on YouTube. Meaning, no talking. Instrumental Instrumental It's on It's. I would always go to this YouTube page But I don't know I don't know why it's uh, It's just not happening for me right now Okay Um, Here we go guys Don't Don't give up Don't give up on this podcast If you're like Why don't you edit this Guys This is what no fun is all about No fun is not about editing And now my phone froze I just want to play some background music While I read my dad's email Oh, oh God. Oh Lord. My phone just froze. If you told me when I was young that someday I'd have a computer in my pocket that didn't work, I'd be like, that sounds like fucking hell. Why don't we just stand on a couch and pretend that it's a boat? That's what you could do right now while I'm trying to find this. I mean, the phone just really just straight up broke, like just straight up. Good night. Goodbye. Just, I'm not working anymore. Uh, here I go, typing in YouTube once again and uh, trying to get my free uh, Bossa Nova summer jazz. I usually play this all the time. Here it is. Okay, kids. Oh, my God. That was a wild ride. All right. So this is my dad's life story. Um that is on a word document on my computer okay so apologies to anyone on the zoom I'm going to be reading it off the computer all right is everybody ready here we go oh my phone froze again Is the background music that important? No, it's not. No, it's not. But it's about to pop up. It's about to pop off, really. How long, can you believe how long this has gone? On? Oh, my God, here we go. <laughs> oh, my God. Okay, my dad's email. In 1950... The family moved to Methuen, Massachusetts from South Lawrence, Massachusetts. Methuen is a city now, but back then it was more farm country than more farm country rural. In the fall, I would be entering the 7th grade in a public school. In South Lawrence, I went to St. Patrick's Parochial School. I played trumpet, and the junior high students were allowed to play in the high school band. Then he gives his address, which I will not give because... Family members still live at it. We had about an acre of land. The backyard through the woods was the ninth hole at the Merrimack Valley Country Club. I started looking for golf balls. I was lucky, and I found a ton of them among these three shiny leaf plants. It sounds like my dad found some weed as well. I figured I'd clean them and sell them to golfers on the golf course. I love something that sounds a little illegal. Illegal. That night, I had a rash all over my body, and it was extremely itchy. Oh, I see where this is going. My father took me to the hospital, and I had poison ivy all over my body. My eyes were swollen to the point where they stayed closed. I had some kind of shot in each arm and then covered in lotion. Don't know why, but for one week, I had to get two shots, one in each arm. I don't know what was injected into my arms, but it hurt. After about two weeks, the itch was becoming bearable, and the swelling was just about gone. Again, this is from an email asking how my dad got into being a greenskeeper and any customer service stories. (laughs) Later on in the year, I went over to the golf course and took lessons on how to caddy. I forgot what the actual pay was, but the tips were good. Most of the members were blue-collar workers, and we did have some white-collar workers. I must say they were all gentlemen. The lady members were also very nice. Golf looked like a lot of fun to play. At Christmas time, my mom and dad bought me a two-wood from Sears and Roebuck. The winter was kind of mild, so I went over the golf course and just practiced with that wood. I mean, I hit thousands of golf balls on a weekly basis. Tough part was picking them all up. And I had a paper route that encompassed about three and a half miles, the Lawrence Eagle Tribune. It was a late afternoon paper. I only had about 40 papers to deliver, and half of them had a green box on a pole, exactly like a mailbox you see on the side of the road. It didn't take that long to do. The other half, I just threw the paper on the porch. On my paper route, there were only about 40 houses total. Included in this route was Worth's Cafe, a restaurant that serves alcohol in a place called The Plantation, operated and owned by two ladies. In both places, I would enter through the front door, and many of the patrons would say, Hi, Ronnie, how are you? It was really nice of these people to remember my name and say hello. Being an altar boy, paper boy, and caddy, they may have known me from there. They did have food, but it was mostly for workers to stop and have a beer before they went home. <laughs> oh, the old days. Gotta have a beer before I see the kids. After any job I did, I would give the money to my mother, and she would put it in a jar for me and give me some spending money out of it. Time passes, and I meet this neighbor who lives three houses from me. His name is Mickey, and his father is the golf professional at Merrimack Valley Country Club. We become friends. He's a freshman at Central Catholic High School in Lawrence, Mass. So now I'm really into golf. His dad gives me a real good price on golf clubs, and I'm very excited to be playing real golf now. As a caddy, I can play golf on Caddy's day, but being a great friend of the golf pro's son, my play is unlimited as long as I'm with Mickey. Now, me and Mickey, we're still caddying, and many times we caddy together. We're on the third hole, and my man Pat hit the ball over the hill, so I took out a club and knocked it 100 yards further mickey's man jim why is my dad talking like this my man mickey's man jim also hit over the hill as pat walks up he sees mickey standing by jim's golf ball about 40 yards from the green and he says jim can't hit the ball that far and he starts complaining he's gonna turn us into the caddy master i said well he did hit it i want to hit where is my ball he said i said sir your ball is way up jim is away he had a big smile and said you guys certainly know how to caddy This is a classic my dad story. I I don't know what he just said. I think what he's saying is, oh, my man. Okay, my dad's trying to say the man he was caddying for hit a bad shot. And my dad lied to him and said, no, 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 this good shot that was someone else's was yours. And that's how you are a good caddy. It really is like you just coddle the egos of the golfers. Okay, I get it now. Now you know what Thanksgiving is like We both approach our sophomore year And we're still doing our thing That summer I won the caddy championship Do you see why guys guys, I love fucking caddy shack Mickey got beaten early And I won in the finals Beating George Max Now he loves this Because George Max And my mom used to date But he's dead now Dad's always a little jealous of George Max I think George Max is dead I'll have to ask my mother Judge Max My first love was to be an FBI agent I didn't know this Remember last week I said I want to be in in the CIA You guys gotta talk to your parents I'm learning I didn't know this about my dad My first love was to be an FBI agent Now after winning the caddy championship I'm thinking about being a golf pro I figure I can take the pressure now After winning The championship, we start our junior year of high school and I am elected to captain of the Methuen High Golf Team. Also, Mickey's dad got me in the club as a first-time junior member. I was ecstatic. Now, Mickey and I get a job working with the greenskeeper on the golf course. I'm elected captain of the golf team in my senior year. As a junior member, I played in the first flight championship. I did not qualify for the club championship. I lost the first flight three down and two to go. Now I'm rethinking this professional golfer position. But now we have the big Calcutta coming up. Big money in this. Minimum team purchase is $45. I played with the greenskeeper and we won our first four matches. Some member was lucky and drew our team ticket for $2. If we win the semifinals, the ticket holder is guaranteed $2,000. The final week, the greenskeeper had me cutting rough by the brooks. The first seven holes, I ducked, I ducked hook all drives. Huh? We lost seven holes with six to play. We would have won $4,000 if we won the match that Saturday and 7000 if we won on Sunday. You have to understand, Greater Lawrence, Lowell, Haverhill, they were big gambling cities. Anyway, at this point, I'm done thinking about being a pro golfer. Then he writes, continued tomorrow on the way to college. Okay, so the next day I get an email. Now that we are entering our senior year of high school, we sort of had to prepare for some kind of future learning or join the military. I contacted the FBI. I never knew this and was told you had to be 21 years of age. They mentioned a few colleges I could attend or spend a couple years in the military. Most naturally, I put the FBI on the back burner. <laughs> I love that my dad's like, I'm not fucking joining the military. <laughs> My dad's three brothers were in Vietnam, and there's no, as far as I know, like, there's no macho, like, regret my dad had. Like, he's not a gun guy. I think he just like, yeah, no, fuck that shit. (laughs) Um, Now, being a pro golfer is really difficult to achieve, and the FBI is on hold. Another interest I had, I like the outdoors, was being a park ranger in the mountains. Oh, thank you, dad, for not raising me in the woods. I attended the Stockbridge School of Agriculture, University of Massachusetts. In Amherst, Massachusetts, I was told the program for a park ranger was filled up, and they recommended I get in the aboriculture course, and if an opening comes up, I could switch over. They gave me a phone number of a reputable tree service company in Andover, Massachusetts. Sixty years ago, colleges were different. They worked with you and did their best to help you any way they could. Quite an indicting, inflamed statement about colleges of today. With my dad, Bernie Sanders. Off again on another voyage, I get a job with a tree company. I was a climber, and the company taught you how to climb and use the rope and also the chainsaw. Oh, one of my favorite memories when I was a teenager, my dad chainsawed his leg. (laughs) We're like, what? It was the worst. I know it sounds mean. It's like kind of a funny story we have in our family. You had to be there. Anyway, I worked through the summer and part-time in the fall. I still played golf, and I had a single-digit handicap, meaning I was a pretty darn good golfer. After graduation, we were working in Haverhill, Mass. We were pruning oak or elm trees, and we were on a steep hill, and I forget whether the Hale Hospital or the library was up there, but being on a hill made it look higher than what we were. No doubt we had to be close up to 100 feet. My partner was on a tree next to me, and I could see that something was bothering him. I yelled over, and he was sort of frozen to the spot. He was scared. "'Worst thing a climber could do "'was to lose faith in his rope. "'That was his problem. "'No matter what I said, he wouldn't move, "'and he asked me to come over and help him. "'You have to remember, we're only teenagers. "'I was 17. "'I slid down and got over to his tree "'and I climbed up to him. "'He was actually a better climber than me. "'I took his rope and tested the knots "'and it was okay, and I told him so. "'He grabbed onto me and we slid easily "'down to the next limb. "'I said, are you okay now? "'And he said, I'll race you down. "'He beats me down. "'We finish the day okay.' The next Saturday, we would only work a half day. I played golf Saturday afternoon, and then I had a soda under the apple trees behind the 18th green. The greenskeeper was there, and he was preparing to go out and do a little watering. I told Bob my story, and he said, are you going to climb trees for the rest of your life? What are you going to do when you're in your 40s? He said, why not try to be a greenskeeper? I said, how would I do that? And he mentioned they have a course in turf at Stockbridge. You can get a science degree. Even though I worked for him for a couple summers, I never put two and two together. I contacted the university, and I switched my major. I did my placement training at Mary Mack Country Club. The second semester, you got out in March to start working to gain practical experience. Basically, our classes and labs were Monday, 1 to 5, and Tuesday through Thursday, 8 to 12, and 1 to 5. Friday was 8 to 12. You had a full weekend to go home and work and report what you did when, um, when you get back to class total was 32 hours per week of classes and labs i graduated in may of 1958 from the stockbridge school of agriculture university of massachusetts i received the degree of associate of science before i continue i'd like to comment on a few things umass was founded on stockbridge other than botany agronomy, astrology, etc. Oh, agrostology, etc. We had English and math with the same professors that teach four-year students. I stayed in the Plymouth House, an old army barracks, and the building next door to us had tanks, and about 4 a.m. in the morning, they would come out rumbling with the ROTC students. Boys had their dorms, and girls had their dorms. Girls had to be in by 9 p.m. weeknights and by midnight on weekends. Dismissal from the university always hung over the girls' heads if they were late returning to the dorms. I worked in the cafeteria in the slop chute, meaning the plates would be put on the chute and we would push the leftover food on it down the hole. Hence, slop chute. In 1956 and 1957, the university was building a new building across the pond called the Student Union. The first case of the Asian flu pandemic, again, this is an email someone sent me saying, what, how'd your dad come In the Jizhou province of southwestern China, how does my dad remember all this? I'm like, well, I don't know what time my classes were or The pa- okay. Asian flu, southwestern China, February 1957 This spread to countries worldwide The 1957 flu pandemic was the second major influenza pandemic to occur in the 20th century The 1957 flu outbreak caused an estimated 1 million to 2 million deaths worldwide And is generally considered to have been the least severe of the three influenza pandemics of the 20th century There were not enough hospital beds on campus to take care of the sick. Hundreds of hospital beds or cots were brought into the student union and girls and boys students were assigned to them. I was one of the sick ones. I didn't know this. And it was really sad to see so many young people looking that sick. All were being attended by doctors and nurses and anybody that could help. Staff announced over loudspeakers that anyone with a car could go home. And if you can take others, please do. Well, I had a car and I looked for six students that needed a ride, and I found one going to my area. As the students felt better, they were allowed to go back to their dorms. Upon graduation, I took a golf greenskeeper job in Bellows Falls, Vermont. It's only a seasonable job from May through October. The golf club always hire a recent graduate from Stockbridge. It's a great experience for the greenskeeper to run a golf course. Before we go any further, the word greenskeeper now has changed to superintendent. So now I am the golf course superintendent of Bellows Falls Country Club. This is a nine-hole golf course, and I have only one high school person on the payroll. The superintendent has a room in the clubhouse. The club is right off Route 103, and the tractor trailers rumble down the highway mostly at night. The members are very nice and never complain. My only scary moment was when I sprayed nitrate or soda of ammonium sulfate and turned the greens brown. (laughs) That particular week, the golf club was hosting the State Scotch Championships... Well, I soaked the greens all night for three nights in a row. We must not forget, we also had practice rounds all week before Saturday. The scotch is man and wife, girlfriend and boyfriend, brother and sister, anyway, any combination of male and female. It is also alternate shot. The golf course was absolutely gorgeous, except for the color of the greens. I took a lot of heat, and I tried to calm the people down, and everything will be okay, even if the color is brown, they can still putt smooth, and I must say... Pretty darn fast Starting Thursday the greens turned an absolute beautiful color of green The tournament was held And the members and guests were still in awe Of the spectacular color of the greens Not bad for a 19 year old teenager I left the end of October And I felt sad because I really liked it there And the vast majority of members rallied around me When I put too much fertilizer on the greens At least now I can pay attention to my girlfriend As we're getting married in 7 months That's my mom I'm back in Methuen, Mass, no job, and getting married now in six months. Things didn't bother me. I don't know why. Maybe because I seemed to roll with the punches. I went to see my old boss who lives on the other side of town, Mr. Nelson, who owns the Rocking D farm. It's a chicken farm, and I worked with him now and then over the years. I did work on another farm, also picking up bales of hay and stacking them in the barn, And at Christmas time, while still in high school, my girlfriend worked at Cherry and Webb's, and I worked at Sutherland's next door. Both stores were in Lawrence. And at lunchtime, we would go across the street to Woolworth's Five and Dime and have lunch. These were the greatest of times, even though we were having regular health problems in the country. Polio was a really scary, crippling disease where you could be put in an iron lung machine and measles and mumps, to name a few. It's 1959 now, and I'm married to my high school sweetheart. I love that he's not like, her name is Joanne. It is your mother. And she works at the electric company. And I took a job as the assistant superintendent at Colonial Country Club in Wakefield, Massachusetts. We were re-sodding the greens, and some fairways were being redesigned. One day, I saw a golf cart over onto the new seedlings on a fairway. That Nobody said. I went over on the side of the fairway and asked him to come over to me I was very courteous to him and asked him to drive on the other side of the rope He put his hand in his pocket and pulled out about five bullets and just looked at me I said I understand sir and I drove off <laughs> I, I informed the superintendent about this and he said just do your job and forget about this In the spring of 1960, I left Colonial to be the construction superintendent under the architect Jeffrey Cornish to build Crystal Springs Golf Club in Haverhill, Massachusetts. Nothing eventful, just work. But in January 1962, I took the job at Needham Golf Club. That's where I grew up, everybody. I ran some pipe and put some sprinkler heads on a number three fairway. That fairway was not watered. I waited for the president and green chairman to play golf together that week. They hit off the tee and were walking down when I had one of the workers put two sprinklers on and they were mystified where the water was coming from. This was spring of 1962. They wondered how I did this. I didn't know my dad kind of like found a way to hide sprinklers. Kind of a big deal. Sometime in mid-August, I called the police because some kids were lighting firecrackers on the golf course. Cops came down and said, we have a $1.5 million robbery happening in Plymouth, Massachusetts, and we're chasing some juveniles lighting firecrackers on a golf course. Summer of 62. One time we had a fire in the clubhouse, and this particular person was against a small percentage raise for me. Me and another employee helped this guy put the club's grandfather clock in his car. There were things that did not get damaged in the fire, And some people took them with all intentions of bringing whatever they took back to the club when it reopened again. No one knew where the clock was, and I told one of the bosses where it was. Four, I saw a vehicle drive out on the golf course. I got in the truck and noticed tire tracks on green number two and green number four. I continued on in the truck with big tires on it. "'was on the back of the first green. "'I drove to the front of the green "'and our headlights were on each other. "'I backed way, way off "'so the green would not be damaged. "'The truck came off and the green... "'Sorry. "'The truck came off the green "'and headed for the service road. "'Before I left the house, "'I live on the golf course, "'I called the police. "'Now I was chasing the truck again "'and I could see the blue light "'shining on the cruiser "'and I hoped he would block the driveway "'so the truck could not get out. "'He did and I nudged the truck "'with my truck and moved it a few feet. "'His truck was turned off "'and he had it in park.' The cop put handcuffs on the driver, but not the passenger. He took the cruiser out and I stayed in my truck. There was no damage to the greens and we found the flag pins in the bunker. I did say to the cops, how come you cuffed the driver, but not the other kid? He said, Ron, he's my brother. The driver's father owned a transmission garage, so he was able to fix the damage. No charges were filed. I don't really understand that story. One morning, a cop stopped by and asked if I had any damage on the golf course from the night before. He said he saw a tow truck pull a car out of the bog next to the road off the golf course. He took the information from the driver of the car. I just knew where that car came from, and I was right. He came over the parking lot up a small banking over the ninth Green down the fairway, taking out an automatic sprinkler, sprinkler that got stuck when shut off, and stayed up, continued down the fairway, and did a couple of UEs on the fairway, and continued onto a service road, then went to town. He tried to go around, I I don't, I'm going to just skip this story, there's a lot of damage, college kids. See, this is the scene in Caddyshack where Bill Murray's got the pitchfork up against the guy, and he's like, gunga galunga. You know, I'm a pro jock. Like, that is living with my dad. This is Bill Murray. This is Caddyshack. These stories, I don't... (laughs) I hope my dad's not mad Or listening to this I think this is a delightful But I, so I can't follow The stories sometimes Because they make sense In his head When they come out Like Bill Murray and Kashak The Dalai Lama said On your deathbed You receive total consciousness So I got that going for me Which is nice Okay Jen I'll finish tomorrow I'm tired I'm just thinking of funny things That have happened at the club I'm not through with this story yet. it gets funnier About five years down the road We got five pages left Okay Jen I'm now general manager of Needham Golf Club. Five years later, this lady and son come to the club now to book a wedding. It's the same lady that came with the selectmen to lower the price of the damage in a previous story. I can see the embarrassment in her face, and she got sort of tongue-tied. I said, I remember you, and what happened in the past is over, so please relax. Relax. And I continued, you have the brochure with you and you can see rental is four hours. I'll let you have five hours for the price of four. I figured I owe you money because your son did such a great job of raking the sand bunkers. I said, if you have a champagne toast, I will only, only charge you $1 per toast rather than $1.50. I just knew the selectmen would attend the wedding. For a little bit of thoughtfulness on my part, we made friends for life, buddies for life. And I showed her how we respected her son. Even though I'm the general manager, I am also still the golf course superintendent. No matter what, golf course or clubhouse, every day is challenging, especially dealing with people. We had a mother and daughter come in to book a wedding, and they wanted us to figure out where to put the grandmother because she is a problem. What the heck do we know about their family? The mother was adamant that we had to help her. We said, come back in a week and bring grandma with you. We told grandma the bride and mother were concerned about... Two tables of young people being so close together. Our suggestion, me and the chef, is to include you on one of these tables because you are the only one who is smart and clever enough to hold these young idiots at bay. Granny says, I know they can be loud and obnoxious at times. I will take care of everything. And she did. See, sounds like my dad knows how to psychologically handle the people. I think I get a lot from my dad. Getting back to the golf course, kids used to play nightlight or something like that. They would hide a flagpole in the sand or do a little damage to the course or throw the trash around. It drove us nuts because of the cleanup and minor repairs we had to do. Someone described to me who was doing the damage and these guys hung out together. So one day I'm leaving the maintenance area and I see my godson walking by with this guy, Jeff, and I think nothing of it until later later that evening. I start putting two and two together. Jeff, And my godson are the ones doing the damage on the golf course. And I tell them I know all about you guys. You call your friends and you tell them the jig is up. And I want to see your father by 7 p.m. this evening. Or I call the police and let them handle it. Of course, I had no proof. But the kid was scared enough to do what I asked of him. Needless to say, the father saw me long before 7 p.m., All parents were notified by their sons, and the nightlife, or whatever you call it, had ended. I never told my godson how I found out. I still see him on Facebook quite often. I'll ask him if he remembers the game he used to play on the golf course. I'll do it so that no one is the wiser. We had beer refrigeration coolers behind the kitchen outside the clubhouse, protected by a heavy-duty lock, and we had a camera covering the area. One night it was broken into and some beer was stolen. Oh, I got to tell you guys, we used to have cigarette machines on the golf course. So when I started smoking as a teenager, like I would just go to the cigarette machine, put 75 cents in it and get it. Like you never got carded. You just buy cigarettes at the cigarette machine. And I remember, uh, oh God, growing up on golf course is the best. You guys think it's all like fancy and Trump people, not working class golf courses like the one I grew up in. Anyway we had a beer refrigerator Heavy duty lock camera One night it was broken into And some beer was stolen We looked at the film And we could see everything clearly However when the unit was broken into We could see nothing They put a covering over the camera It happened a second time It was easy to get on the deck of the clubhouse And get onto the roof over the kitchen The president of the club Wanted to catch these guys See my dad got to use his FBI shit We had another camera installed with just a peephole in back of the clubhouse. Sure enough, we were broken into again. We had a light snow maybe an inch and you could see the footprints in the snow. The police followed it to a neighbor's house Explained to the parents And got a sneaker that matched the one in the snow Leading to his house The son was not home The cop said we have other evidence also Have your son come to the clubhouse Thursday evening at 7pm It's always 7pm And all the other kids involved And you may also want to come If your son does not show up We will put out a warrant for his arrest Little did they know We looked at the tape and caught them red handed The cop took the tape to make another one All showed up at the clubhouse with big smiles and one brought a lawyer everything was explained to the people and the lawyer the lawyer asked was the camera covered and the cop said one was but not the other squirming time for the kids the cop pulled out his case and took the tape out and said here it is he also pointed to one kid and said you snapped the lock and another kid he said you were on the roof covering the dummy camera we did not see that kid on the ground so he had to be that one on the roof they were caught red-handed and they knew it Club did not press any charges so they would not get a record and they did not ask for any money back from the stolen beer. We had many pine trees and they were easy to climb. I would pick out certain spots and climb up a tree only a few feet. You couldn't see me. I had a black cape and a black rubber wide-rimmed hat. When kids would walk by close enough, I would drop out of the tree And in a deep voice, I would say, I am Digger O'Dell, your family undertaker. I mean, I scared the living daylight out of them. Nobody is afraid of a sane person. But if you act like a crazy person, they don't want anything to do with you. (laughs) The evening of July 3rd, this is almost done. I was sitting in my Cushman truckster. That's like a golf cart, you guys, but like the uh not a golf cart, it's like the you know the 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 one that like Bill Murray drives in Caddyshack. And I had a red light that blinked. Kids were um on the eighth tee setting off fireworks. I put that I, I let out a yell so loud you could hear a mile away. They ran so fast but I caught up with them I forgot I had the chain up so no car could drive on the golf course. I hit that chain dead on in the chest and left arm, but I had the presence to shut the key off. The Cushman stopped, and I went topsy-turvy over the top. As it turned out, there were two police cruisers on the street, and they came over, and they wanted to take me to the hospital. I said no. I knew all of the police most of the time. I was sworn in as a special police officer for Needham Golf Club, and I had a license to carry. The next day was the 4th of July parade, and I got in my car, and along came a couple we knew. And I got up and gave her my chair. Oh, I was suffering. I finally went to the doctor, a badly bruised sternum and hairline fracture on three ribs. I had the best compliment told to me when the superintendent of an area golf course said that he caught four kids sneaking on his golf course. When he said they were from Needham, he asked them, why didn't they play Needham? And they said, are you kidding? That greenskeeper guy is a nut. You don't want anything to do with him. A few years back Bobby Orr, he was a hockey player you guys for the Boston Bruins, was at the golf club and Derek Sanderson, former hockey players. I was upstairs in the grill room and was leaving the club when some, I guess, influential members said, "Ron, take the elevator down. Bobby Orr is signing autographs and you don't want to disturb him." I said, "Okay." I took the elevator down. The doors opened and Bobby Orr said, "Excuse me." And he came over and shook my hand and said, "Ron, how are you doing? I was hoping to see you today." We talked for a couple of minutes and I left and he said, "I'll be in touch." I saw the people upstairs and their jaw was still dropping. I played golf with many professional athletes. I always treat people the same. No one is better than me at golf except the young kids. There are so many memories and so many things to tell about. No one ever thinks of this. I had a president of the club that works for a company that owns a ton of property. If you go to Nantucket and you're going through the channel, I'm talking the big boat, when you approach the dock and all that and you land and the restaurants, that's all owned by the company that he works for. He used to work for a high school classmate of mine. We played trumpet together for six years with the high school band. He's now deceased, but he would also be 20 years older than my former president. I have—I don't know. This story kind of ends on a weird note. I had a green chairman. Okay. Well, I enjoyed reminiscing, and there was so much more to talk about. End of story. I don't know why we ended on, I know a guy who owns a restaurant. I think we could have ended on, no one's a better player than me except the young kids. So that's your answer, Kate. I hope that helps. Um. that's it that's the episode for this week ask your parents questions and I'm still trying to fathom the fact that my dad would put on a witch hat and a cape and jump out of a tree at young people and say I'm Digger Odell the Undertaker oh boy until next week Have fun.